I invite us to bow our heads for a time of meditation, to be in God's presence, to maybe reflect on something the Lord has already spoken to you about, and I'll lead us in family prayer after we've had some time of silence together in God's presence. Mighty God, we pray today on behalf of all in our circle of concern who are ill, who are struggling, who are hurting, who are broken and grieving. We pray today on behalf of those who serve on the mission field far and near. We pray for our armed forces, that you might bless them and bless their families, and bless those who return stateside as they transition back to so-called normal, that you would bless them. We pray for our Mission America this month of April as we think about the task of not only evangelizing but sharing the good news indeed uh, through acts of justice and kindness to clothe the naked and to feed the hungry. We pray that you would make us answers to our own prayers as we live the gospel in our United States. We ask, dear God, that you root our lives in your Holy Spirit's presence so that we might bear the fruit of the Spirit and live Jesus Christ so that he might be on display daily. Bless us in this Lenten season as we think about the struggles that are on the Jesus way and open our hearts to all that you want to accomplish in and through us. Through Christ I pray, amen. I invite you to open your Bibles to John's Gospel chapter 11. We are uh, in a sermon series during this Lenten season uh, about struggles on the Jesus way, the struggles that we encounter trying to live life, trying to uh, make it on the Jesus way. And this morning we're thinking particularly about the struggle, uh, the roadblock of grief. And I want to read a longer passage of Scripture from John's Gospel, chapter 11, beginning in verse 17. And if you're able, would you stand, please, as we think this morning together about grief and about Jesus' presence in the midst of grief and as you listen prayerfully to God's Word from John's Gospel, chapter 11, verse 17 and following. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two days away, and many, uh, two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. When she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary get up 
quickly and go out. They followed her because they thought that she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I've said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth, and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. The Gospel of Jesus Christ for our lives. You may be seated. This is uh, not a pretend story. This is not a fairy tale. Lazarus was really dead, and the grief that the family and friends experienced was a very real, very real grief. I say that because we all have struggles on the Jesus way, and sooner or later, we encounter losses in our lives. And uh, the loss of the death of a loved one is obviously the most prominent, the most poignant, but there are many kinds of losses that we experience in our lives And we don't have the luxury of lining them up and asking one loss to wait until we've gotten over the other. Loss has a way of accumulating and sort of piling on our lives, and we need to be aware of that. Uh, You think about the kinds of losses that you can experience simultaneously. The death of a loved one, the divorce of a loved one that affects you whether you're the divorced person or not a broken relationship, failing health, job loss, the death of a pet, the loss of status in the community or in the church, retirement, the loss of innocence, the death of a dream. On and on and on we could go, naming those losses that sort of just pile up and accumulate. Now, At the end of the 20th century, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross did a lot of groundbreaking work in the area of grief, and she uh, is famous for giving us those five stages of grief, uh, you know, uh, anger and denial and bargaining and uh, depression and then acceptance, and, and it was great teaching to make us aware of what happens to us in grief, 
But, you know, scholars and experts are beginning to look at that in a fresh way and say, not so fast. Because somehow or other, we've taken the teachings of Kubler-Ross and we've uh, convinced ourselves that grief always happens in neat little packages. First you deal with this, and then you wrap it up and you put it on the shelf, and then you deal with this, whether it's you know, anger or bargaining, and then you're done with it. It doesn't work that way in real life. Those stages of grief are not so much stages as waves of stuff that come over us over and over and over again. The other problem uh, that we have with Kubler-Ross's uh, teaching, or at least a distortion of it, is the idea that you're allowed X amount of time to deal with each stage of grace uh, of grief, so uh, that you've dealt with the, the shock uh, and the anger of it, so I'm going to give you a little more time now, whether it's days, weeks, or months. Well, you're done with that. Now we're going to move on to the next, and I give you approximately, and then the next, and you get the point. Uh, grief isn't packaged that way. But here's the problem. The problem is not grief. Grief is normal. Grief is a part of caring. The problem is not grief. The problem is we live in a culture that is grief-denying. We live in a culture that wants to push all grief underground. And when you push grief underground, all kinds of unhealthy things start to happen. We live in a culture that doesn't have time to grieve, it thinks. We live in a culture that that uh, seems to imply that if we grieve, we're weak. And we don't have faith. And those things are simply not true. Grief unacknowledged and unprocessed is a very, very dangerous thing. I want to show you a quote by a man named Henry Maudsley. A sorrow that has no vent in tears makes the other organs weep. Now, there is so much medically and psychologically sound about that and spiritually sound from a pastoral care perspective, it may surprise you to know that Henry Maudsley was a physician who lived in the 18th century. So here's someone in the 1700s who's still teaching us something that we want to deny, want to deny a sorrow that has no vent in tears will eventually affect the other organs of our bodies. And it's so very true. So here's something we need to hang on to. Grief is a part of loving. Tears are signs that we care. And all tears are important to God. Did you get both those things? That grief is a part of loving. And that grief and tears are always important to God. Hang on to that, will you? Now, Lauren Winner is a best-selling American Christian author. Uh, She was raised a Jew, by the way. She was raised uh, to go to synagogue every Saturday. And when she was in college, she became a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, as a Christian who was raised in Judaism, she has unique perspectives. She says when it comes to funerals, Christians win. Christians take the prize. She said there is no greater message, no greater job that's done at the time of a funeral than the Christian message of hope through Jesus Christ. She said, hands down, 
Christians score a victory on that side. But she said, American Christians don't do so well with the business of grieving that follows the funeral. She said, we have a lot to learn from our Jewish friends. I don't know if you caught it in the John 11 scripture, but several times reference is made to Martha and the people who were with her. Mary and her friends who were weeping with her. The Jewish ceremony of grief is very elaborate and very structured. In Jesus' day, at least ten people were required to come and grieve with the loved one who survived the death. And the Talmud said that the period of grief is to be 40 days that the person is excused from normal routine because of the acknowledgement that for at least 40 days there needed to be a process of grieving. When the body was taken out of the home, immediately the chairs and sofas were turned to face the walls. All during the 40 days of grieving... The people remaining in the home were to sit on the floor or on a low stool as they, as they grieved and as they processed their pain. It was very real. It was very elaborate. It was very structured. But there was a reason for it because grief needs expression. It needs formalizing. Now, I want you to feel the grief and the pain of Jesus. And I'm looking particularly at verse 33, if you still have your Bibles open. And I don't want you to just hear Jesus' grief and tears. I want you to not just acknowledge Jesus' grief and tears. I want you to feel at a very visceral level what Jesus is experiencing. When he saw, verse 33 says, When he saw her weeping, did you know that Jesus sees your tears? Jesus sees when you cry. When he saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, that's the official entourage of mourners, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. I want you to notice that seamlessly John moves from the grief of Martha and Mary to Jesus' grief. He moves seamlessly from Mary and Martha and the mourner's tears to Jesus' tears. Scripture says in verse 33, he was disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. Two Greek words. The first word means to groan violently. To groan violently. And the second word means to be shaken at the very core, to be moved in such a way that at the very core of his being, Jesus was shaken. Do you feel that? And then, verse 35, Jesus wept. The new RSV says he began to weep. It's the shortest verse in the Bible. And you're thinking, why didn't Doyle have us memorize that one for Lent instead of Matthew 9? Could have handled that one. You know, this, this will make you a Bible scholar at work or school tomorrow. I memorized the Bible verse, Jesus wept, John eleven thirty five, But it's deceptively uh, short and simple because there's a lot packed in there. 
Jesus wept, cried. Why did he cry? Out of pathos, just he's with us in our pain. He sees our tears. He cries with us. What breaks us breaks him. This is the kind of Savior we have. But also tears of indignation, seeing the ravaging destruction of death, the power of of the whole death process on our lives, to see what sin does to us. All of this and more. Jesus wept. Bible scholars, was such a short verse, you can read commentary after commentary that will move your heart. B.B. Warfield says, in this one verse, John reveals the very heart of Jesus. The very heart of Jesus is revealed in this beautiful truth. And then John Calvin said, Jesus was not an idle spectator just watching Lazarus die and watching the people mourn. He was not standing back, leaning on some post, just objectively watching it all happen. John Calvin says, Jesus was rather like a wrestler preparing for his match against his greatest enemy. And then Calvin asks, why wouldn't he groan in the face of such an adversary? Jesus was ready to look into the very face of death and to begin the conquering process. Why wouldn't he groan? Grief is a strange experience. It rarely appears alone. It almost always piggybacks on something else like anger or guilt or confusion. Grief usually comes clustered with something else, sort of bundled. And we find that here, an interesting comment made by both Martha and later by her sister Mary. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And I want to look particularly at, at verse 21 when Martha said it because... Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And then she goes on in verse 22 and says, but even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask him. Interesting mixture there. Martha is a mixture of sort of blame and anger along with faint hope. She was bewildered by death. She was stung and angry by death. But she had this faint hope, even now. Have you ever been like Martha? I have, in the face of death. Bewildered, angry, but with faint hope. Even now, Lord, you can do something. And what Martha has to do is to take her confusion her pain, her anger, and her faint hope and just place them all with Jesus and let them all rest in Him. Because it's right after she said that about even now that Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, we've talked about that before, haven't we? Jesus didn't say, I think I know where I can find resurrection and hope. Jesus didn't say, I have a theory on something that might be helpful at this time, or I read once, 
or I know of somebody, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. So maybe all we can do with our grief and our pain is to take them and put them in stronger, bigger, more eternal hands. It won't make our grief go away. But if we can take our grief and pain and just by faith place them in loving, stronger, bigger, more eternal hands, the man of sorrows will walk with us. Because remember, tears are a sign of caring. And all tears are important to God. The man of sorrows will be with us. And he knows the way.